We're talking about contentment. Last week we started looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses beginning with verse 10, and we'll come back to that. Uh, does anybody need a Bible? We're going to be looking at several different passages. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some extras back there. The ushers will be glad to pass them out if you need them. Need some up here? In your outline, as a way of review, we talked about, um, and I revised this uh, definition just a little bit, so if you go back and compare your notes from last week to this week, they'll be just a hair different. Content is to be satisfied with one's earthly circumstances through Christ's presence. To be content is to be satisfied in whatever the circumstances are, whatever the situation is. Contentment is not resignation. It's not just saying, oh, well, i got to put up with it. It's not lethargy, not caring or apathy, but an active state of satisfaction that comes by choosing Christ. So to, to be content is to actively be pursuing Christ so that the circumstances in our lives were satisfied. In Christ, not necessarily with what's going on around us. And then we stated that everything is all about God always. Because contentment is not something we pursue, but it's a byproduct of pursuing God. As, and, and so everything is all about God always. A byproduct of experiencing self. Nothing is ever about us. And so we, can't, we don't set goals to get what we want in order to be content. We set the goal to know God and to follow Him, to pursue Him, to make our lives all about Him, and discover then there's the byproduct. Because God Himself, you might want to write this down, God Himself is the true treasure. Not what He does for us, but what, who He is. God Himself is the true treasure. And then we said that control is God's job. And surrender to God is our job. And we talked a lot about giving up control and giving up even knowing the details of what God might be doing. We, we spent some time there and it was powerful for me understanding that when God tells us to do something that um, this, this desire to know is okay as long as it's what God wants us to know. But sometimes he just says, trust me. He says, just follow me. Just walk in step with me. And he doesn't give us, and we have to be okay with that. We have to be content with that. So that's the foundation. And this week we want to talk about learning then how. So we set that foundation. Everything is all about God always. I'm content to let him be in control and to not know everything. And now, what do I do? A couple of weeks ago, um, we decided to go to a Washington Wild Things game with my daughter and her family. And I don't know if you guys knew, I have grandkids. But I've got, I, I, did you know I have grandkids? I have grandkids. My, daughter's, my daughter has two sons, Brody, who's seven, and Landon, who's four. And so we we made arrangements that we were going to pick up the four-year-old and he was going to ride with us to the Wild Things game down in Washington, PA. So I walked in the door um, to get him. And as I walked in the door, Landon, the four-year-old, um, was there. And he, he, he sat up on the steps that go to the second floor. And he sat down and he goes, 
Grandpa, no, that's not exactly right. Because he's got this low voice. Okay. Four-year-old. Grandpa. <laughs> you want to come sit on steps with me? It's really nice sitting on the steps. <laughs> and I said, well, Landon, um, we need to go in a minute. And I'm going to go steal some snacks because I'm hungry. <laughs> and as soon as I said that, Landon goes, Grandpa, you don't steal. All you have to do is ask. <laughs> and then he popped up off of the stairway and he led me to the stash of snacks that they have. These little bags of snacks they have that they, they put in their lunches. And he said, here, you can have whatever you want. <laughs> so he started pulling stuff. He goes, you want this one? No. I, and, he, and he handed me a bag of, of Dorito chips. I said, can I, can I have two? Sure, Grandpa. Give me another one, and, we, and off we went. And I've been thinking about that ever since, because I, I wasn't stealing, right? I was just going to get a snack that my daughter had given me permission to have. It was just a, it was just a way of expressing it, but Landon, no, just ask, Grandpa. You can have whatever you want. And it got me thinking how many times... We approach God that way. How many times are we trying to get what we think we should have or what we want, what we think will make us content? When God says, you don't have to try to get it yourself. All you have to do is come to me because I'm your treasure. And I know what you want that will be content. You see, we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves constantly, and, and I think hopefully as we are following Christ and we get more mature in Christ, we recognize the reality that stuff in this world doesn't make us happy, but suddenly, oftentimes, we still are in that mode of thinking, if I can just get this, then I'll be content, or I'll be satisfied, or it will be enough. And we spiritualize it. You know, we don't talk about... I, I know I'm, you know, it's not about being happy or being selfish. We, we just spiritualize it. And we still have it in our minds. If I can just have this much money, then I, 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 can, I can be okay. If I can just get this promotion, if I can just get this relationship, if I can get these people to love me, if I can um, find a spot. Here's the biggest lie. If I could just have children, I'll be content and happy. If you have... Just talk to anybody that just laughed, if you're still under that impression. Amen. And we lie to ourselves, and, we, and that's why we have to be still before God and let Him show us. Because we still depend on stuff. So let's, I, I want to talk about learning this skill of contentment then. So that we no longer lie to ourselves, but we have the ability to focus on Him and allow the byproduct of contentment to come as we learn this skill. You might want to put something in your Bible because we're going to be looking at several different passages multiple times. The first one is in Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10.
I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length that you have received, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he's writing to the Philippian church, um, the people in the city of Philippi that he had gone to um, at least twice. He had developed this relationship and partnership with them. Um, and now they've sent money through, uh, we, we learned a man named Epaphroditus in the earlier chapters. He says, and then in verse 11, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, circle that word learned, if you have a habit of, of writing in your Bible or uh, whatever you're looking on. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. There's no Holy Spirit fairy dust. It's learned. I have learned to be content. I know what it is to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I've learned the secret. Um, contentment is God's will for us, whether we have a lot or a little. It's what God wants for us. And it's only a secret because when people hear about it, so oftentimes they pull back from it because... It's not the secret they want. It's not the solution they want. Because in, in, in our minds, in our default, in our humanity, we think if, if we just have more money or um, more prosperity or less conflict, then that's the, that will give us what we want. The secret is that it's not any of that. It's not really a secret. It's just that we want to keep that buried. So let's talk about these truths about God's invitation to develop contentment. Number one, contentment is essential. Contentment is essential. This is not an option for those who are striving to follow Christ. It's absolutely essential. Because we will be big babies if we don't mature in Christ. Amen. We will continue to be. And so our prayers will be all about us and how bad our lives are and, and how pitiful we are and how God needs to take care of this and God, why did you let this happen to me? Unless we get contentment, unless our focus is on Him, we will continue to be babies about all of life. Contentment is essential. Without it, we relentlessly chase other things. Until we are content in Christ, we relentlessly chase other things. Now, confession is, even after I was in the ministry as a pastor, it was still in the back of my mind going, if I could just um, be successful as a, and, and there are all kinds of definitions of success. If I could just be successful, if, if I could just accomplish this, if we could just reach this many people. But it never satisfies because it's still about the stuff in this world. Seemingly God thinks, Right? I mean, what, what a spiritual statement. I want to reach hundreds of people for Christ. That sounds, that sounds really, really spiritual, right? But it's still wrong. It's, it, God wants to reach hundreds of people for Christ. But that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to seek Him. And let Him do what He wants. So it could be even seemingly spiritual things. 
And our tendency is to applaud ourselves in the places we have become content instead of allowing God to convict us in the places where we're still not. Did you hear me? We reach a level of Christian maturity and we think we're doing pretty good and we applaud ourselves and so we don't allow God to really get at us. So keep your finger in Philippians chapter 4 and look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and we'll begin with verse 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness, that is, following Christ, being surrendered to Christ, surrendered, listen, obey, knees and dudges, walking in alignment with Him, God, that's godliness. With contentment, pursuing Christ so much so that we're satisfied in any and all situations and circumstances. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Reality check, Right? We came with nothing, we're leaving for nothing, which means God wants us to be attached to nothing. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Now, if we have food and clothing. Now, what our minds immediately want to do is, yeah, if I have certain kinds of food and certain kinds of clothing and an adequate um, you know, amount of housing and, and, and I define those kinds of things, rather than just saying, whatever God gives me. We will be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. What he's saying is, until we're content, we will relentlessly chase other things, even things that seem like godly things. We need to learn to seek Him Contentment is absolutely essential because our level of contentment impacts every area of our lives. If I'm not content in Christ, my relationships will never measure up. If I'm not content in Christ, the possessions I have will never be enough. If I'm not content in Christ, the experiences that I have will never be enough. Because there will always be something the devil's able to tap into and poke at and get us to be dissatisfied. Enough is never enough. Unless you're content in Christ. It's absolutely essential. Our depth of intimacy with Christ directly determines the depth of contentment we experience. And so it's absolutely essential and it comes by deeper and deeper intimacy, surrendering listening and obeying. Contentment is essential. So, here's the application then. If you find yourself discontent, recognize that as a red flag. Write that down, take it to God, and ask Him to show you why you're discontent. Because you don't know um, until God tells you. You won't understand. But if you're discontent, it's not God's will and He doesn't want to leave you there. Because He doesn't want you to be a big baby. Turn to the person beside you and say, stop being a big baby. (laughs) Some of you are refusing to do that. I'm not talking to the person next to me that way. Number two, contentment is a skill 
developed through hard stuff. So we said, we said it's a learned action. It's learned. It's not bestowed. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, Christ, for whom and by whom all things exist. Christ, for whom and by whom. He's the creator of all things. He is the focus of all things. In bringing many sons to glory, that is, taking human beings into a personal relationship with them, a same relationship with him, developing them into disciples of Christ that eventually go to heaven, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through, what's the next word? Suffering. 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 Jesus himself, who was fully human and fully God, had to learn through suffering. Learn through hard things. Learn through difficulties. Anything you learn requires discomfort at minimum, pain usually. Any kind of skill that we learn. So skills are not bestowed, they're learned, they're developed, they're acquired. And since contentment is a skill, then it's learned through hard things and it's developed and acquired. And uh, I don't think I put this in your outline anywhere. You ought to write it down. Contentment is not possible without pain. Without going through hard stuff, as, as we'll see in just a moment. It's just not, you can't be content unless God takes you through a process of difficulty and hard things. We go back to Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your, your finger there, go to verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned, there is that word, learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low because I've experienced it, hard things that brought me low. And I know how to abound. Times when God provided things that were more than I needed. In any and every circumstance. There are no exceptions. So contentment has no the, the circumstances in our lives have, has no bearing on our contentment. None. Zero. Absolutely none. No matter how much pain or sorrow or difficulty, it's not an excuse not to be, con- to, to be discontent. They have no bearing on it. Every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I've learned the secret. So here we go. Skills. Next one. Contentment is one of life's hardest and long-lasting extensive skills. It's a hard one. I mean, there, there's something, you know, there's some things when you accept Christ as Savior and you know you just got to turn away from it. And it's not that big a deal. It didn't mean that much to you. You just walk away and you don't do it anymore. And then you go on for a while and then God starts poking at this willingness to be content no matter what you're going through. This is one of the high-level skills that has to be continued to work on throughout our lifetime. So here's Paul's experience. And and this comes out of uh, a number of weeks ago, I was was thinking about the passage in Philippians, I've learned to be content, and I had never made the connection with the passage we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 before. 
Um, so you're going to, if you want to look there, you can open your Bible. There's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look there. And that took me to thinking about Paul's long journey to contentment. And so I put in here Paul's timeline. In AD 34, um, and these are estimated, in AD 34, he came to Christ. It, you know, he'd watched Stephen be killed. He'd held the robes of the people who stoned Stephen to death. And then he went on this rampage against the Christians. And then Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and he was converted. AD 34. For the next 13 years, he goes back to Tarsus, where he was from, to try to protect himself because people heard about his conversion and wanted to kill him. He went into Arabia for a few years, and then he was in, he just kind of off the radar for 13 years. Do you know why? Because God was training him. He wasn't ready to write the Bible yet, right? He had just been converted. So there's this long period of 13 years when somebody is coming alongside. He's part of the church. He's just listening, uh, probably you know, learning what it means to teach and learning what it means to disciple because those were his gifts. And, and he's just, for 13 years, he's just, you don't hear about him. And then in AD 47, Barnabas hears about him and, and the gifts that are coming to the surface in the, the church at Tarsus. And he grabs him and he takes him to Antioch because they need help there. And, and he begins his ministry. In AD 48, He's in Antioch, and he's, and he's meeting with some other leaders, and the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who became Paul, and send them on the missionary journey. And so they started the missionary journey. So it's been 14 years since his conversion, and he's been discipled, he's growing, he's becoming more and more what God wants him to be. And then he goes on a missionary trip. They go on the missionary trip, and you know what happens? Hell comes against him. And it's one persecution after another. One death threat after another. One shipwreck after another. One beating after another. One imprisonment after another. And, and if he hadn't somewhere along the line begun to learn to be content in all those circumstances, he would have been a big baby. He would have been whining and fussing, and why is this happening to me? And I don't understand this. But he, because God had, so you think God sent him apart. He sent him on this missionary trip. Everything should go well, right? No, because he's fighting the battles. And he, so here's what, I, here's what I discovered. From AD 48 to AD 56, so for eight years, they're on these missionary trips, and he writes the book of 2 Corinthians from Philippi. From Philippi. On his second missionary trip. So we, we looked previously that on his first missionary trip, he gets, um, he gets into trouble and ends up in jail and they're beaten, they're in stocks and he's singing at midnight, earthquake comes, jailer saved, you know, and the, the church is established. He leaves, he comes back on his second missionary trip, and from Philippi, he writes 2 Corinthians. So look there, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 7. So look. 
14 years of, of, of kind of disappearing, eight years of missionary service, and here's what he says. So to keep me from becoming, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So here he is, he's the super apostle. He's serving God in all these different places, putting up with all this persecution. And after all of these years, still God's working on him. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am, there's that word again, content. Content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here's what we see in these steps to contentment. How did Paul learn to be content at this level? First bullet point, he experienced hard circumstances. He experienced hard, hard circumstances. Jesus said in John 16, um, in this world you are going to have trouble. So it's not just for apostles, it's for everyone. This is the first step that you don't have to do anything about because you don't have to go looking for hard circumstances. You don't have, you don't have to wake up in the morning going, God, okay, I'm on, I want to be content, so send me bad stuff. First of all, we put you in a padded room if you start praying those things because <laughs> that's not good. Hard stuff will come in this life. You will face difficult stuff. Most, our default is to be big babies about it. When hard stuff, God, why, how could you allow this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Why is this hard circumstance? He faced hard circumstances. Verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited, he needed some character development. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. That, we don't have any explanation what that was. Some people think it was physical illness. Some people think it was uh, persecution. Um, but it was a messenger of Satan to harass him. And it, God was still on the throne. So that messenger of Satan, that thorn in the side, did not come to Paul except that God allowed it. Amen. You hear me? Yeah. If you are following Christ and you're going through hard stuff, God has allowed that. Mm-hmm. Not mean, it doesn't mean that he wants it but he's allowed it, and he's got a greater purpose. That's why contentment is essential. Unless we view it that way, that God is still in charge. Paul's a messenger of Satan to harass me. It was given to me. Contentment lies on the other side of going through storms. And so hard stuff, hard stuff is going to come. Don't ever listen to anybody who tells you if you accept Christ, your life will just fall into place. It's a lie from the pit of hell. But what did he do next? He went to God. He went to God. He didn't throw himself a pity party. He didn't try to fix it. 
He didn't try his own way. He didn't, he didn't go back to land it. He didn't try to go steal something to make himself happy. Instead, he went to God. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, what we don't know is how, how long this period was that he's describing. We don't know if it was one night that he, uh, or if, three, if it was three years. But there were three. So the first time he pleaded with God, did God hear him? Of course, God hears everything. Did God answer him? No. That's why he pleaded a second time. Did God hear him? Yes. Does God hear you? Absolutely. Did, and did God answer? No. That's why he had to go to a third time. Three times he just kept going back to God. God wasn't ignoring. And so listen to me. Some of you may be going through some really hard times and it feels like God is not hearing you because you're not hearing anything. He's not responding. It doesn't appear that he's responding. He's still there. And if you listen carefully, he'll, what you will hear is through the Word and through the Spirit, I'm with you. I haven't forsaken you. I'm with you. Trust me. Trust me. Because what we see in all of this is Paul was trusting God. When we are going through really hard times, the natural thing is to do as Paul did and ask for relief. You might want to write that down. Our natural tendency is to ask for relief. Because that's what, that's what our bodies tell us. If you reach out and you touch a hot stove, our natural inclination is to pull back, right? That's just that's the way we're made. We want relief from whatever pain we're going through. That's why it's so important that we lean into God. Because our first response will be, God, take this away from me. I, I, I admit, there, when I get sick, um, and I get any kind of stomach virus, I, I become a big baby. I, I fully admit. You ask Sheila, she will go, oh, she just roll her eyes at you. Oh. And I, you know, my prayer, it's a stomach virus. I'm going, God, please just kill me. Take me to heaven. I, and, and, and if I just, it'll be over in 24 hours, Herb, just hang in there. We want relief. That's our natural response. But when we begin to focus on God, very quickly, his spirit will instruct us to go to looking to him versus desire, being so passionately desiring relief and to listen to what he has to say. So when Paul heard, finally, after the third time, he was listening. He was listening. God, take it away, nothing. Take it away, nothing. Take it away, and then the message came. Perseverance. He persevered, which caused him to pull in, allow God to pull him into his response. And so he accepted God's perspective and plan with zealous action. So when he finally heard, and, and I, I fully believe it's built on the fact that it has been 
So 14 years of eight, so 14 and eight is 22. 22 years since his conversion that he's been trusting God. And he comes to this, this time when it's, it's, it's like the epitome of contentment. And he's been trusting God this whole time. And now God takes him through this deeper, harder, worse difficulty to the place where he wants it to go away. And he is ready to do whatever God says. God has been building this. It's a learned behavior over a period of time. And so the next thing that God wants to teach you is build on everything he's, te- he's taught you so far. He's bringing you to a level of maturity. And so that's what we see in Paul. He's being brought to a level of maturity. And so when this comes, he is, w- he is able to accept it. It wasn't the answer he wanted, was it? Are you with me? It wasn't the answer he wanted. He wanted the pain to go away. Whatever that thorn in the side was, he wanted it to go away. Anybody with me on on this? When we get pain, I want it to go away. I don't want to hear this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, I'm not taking the pain away. I'm giving you more of myself so you will have enough to keep going in spite of the pain. And by going forward in spite of the pain, my power will be seen. I will be exalted. I will be glorified. And it won't be about you anymore, Paul. It will be about Jesus Christ. Here's his response. And this has just driven me nuts in the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I never... And until we were learning community on Thursday a week and a half ago, and we were looking at this passage a little bit, and, and I said, what words stick out? And Mick goes, boast. I'm going, that wasn't what I was looking for. I will, look. so here's his response. I will boast. I will brag. I will point to. I will delight. I will focus. I will tell everybody about my weaknesses. I'm not just going to put up with this thorn in my side. I'm going to have people, I'm going to boast about it. My weaknesses, how weak I am. Not only that, he goes on, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because the power is not because of the absence of the pain. Those are the stories that we hear in our culture, right? About, um, about people who were delivered from stuff or healed from stuff or um, they were poor, and now they're rich. And, and it's all this external stuff that just buys into the sinful nature. And the, what we don't hear about is, I'm still in pain. But look at God. For His power is, will rest upon me as I boast in my weaknesses. 
And then he really gets excited with this passionate fervor. And he says, for the sake of Christ, then, I'm, I'm, I am content. I am satisfied with weaknesses. Well, well, no, no, no. I, I'm not going to stop there, Paul says. No, no, not just weaknesses, but with insults. I can't wait for the next time somebody insults me because then God's power will be stronger and he will be seen. I'm not there. Are you? You, you want to walk out of here, go to the store, and somebody insult you, and you go, yes! <laughs> That's what he's talking about, isn't he? Insults for Christ. Hardships for Christ. Persecutions for Christ. Calamities for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the right side up. That's 180 degrees from our, our culture. He faces hard stuff. He goes to God. He hears from God. And then what he hears, he embraces and he lives and he accepts. And he chooses to allow God to turn him right side up so that he doesn't make sense except from Isaiah 55. He adopted God's attitude, his perspective, and then he put it into action. We don't know. Again, we don't know how long the, 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 that, that three, uh, God deliver me, God deliver me, God deliver me, and then God spoke. It could have been years. It could have been months. It could have been weeks. It could have been a night. But we know that through all of it, God, Paul trusted God. Let me land here for just a moment. My observation, and I believe that you know, the perspective that God has, has shown me, especially in the last few years, is that most of those who experience deep intimacy with God and who are used as pipelines of His presence endure lifelong hardships of some sort. It appears that pain, difficulty, is the pathway. And that when we shake our heads and wonder, when we look at people around us who have some kind of physical ailment or disease or depression or struggle or um, relationships that just hammer away at them their entire lives, and we, and we shake our heads and go, why? I wonder why? why? Why would God do that? Why would God allow that? I think this is the answer. Because Paul says, the, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Maybe it, it's a gift rather than a burden. It, from a human standpoint, it's a burden, but, but perhaps that's the pathway. And it's the only pathway. So that when we pray, God, make me like Jesus, it, it's, it's a part of it. Pain is a part of it. So, so we look at all of the, we look at Jesus, and it was pain and difficulty. We look at all 12 of his disciples, it was pain and difficulty. And then you look at the people that God has used so greatly, There's a song, there's an old, old hymn called No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus. The author was uh, Charles Weigel. 
And like so many hymns, no one ever cared for me like Jesus came from a season of, of intense suffering. Charles was an evangelist who took, which his ministry took him away from home. And one day he came home to find his wife has decided she didn't like being a Christian anymore and she was going to chase the wildlife. She moved completely across the country to the West Coast with his daughter. And he never saw her again. He fell into a deep depression. This hymn he wrote following years of deep depression and struggling that that caused him to have a deep desire to give everything to God. After years of the depression, years of seeking God, finally one night in surrender, an overwhelming sense of God's abundance and God's joy returned. As as he began to marvel at the blessings of God instead of the difficulties he had faced, he sat down at the piano and said aloud, Jesus, no one ever cared for me like you. And in 20 minutes, he wrote the words and the music to this song. Mm -hmm. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something no uh, no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me, and he led me in the way I ought to go. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand his words of love. But I'll never know just why he came to save me till someday I see his blessed face above. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. He doesn't write that if all of his life is joy and balloons and rainbows. Did God make his wife leave? Absolutely not. But hard things come. And we need to go to God, and we need to listen, and then we need to lean in for his perspective, because our ways are not his ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But if we focus on him, he can give us contentment no matter what comes. Contentment is a skill that comes through hard stuff. And I would say too, you might want to write this down, it didn't come with Paul alone with Jesus. It came in the context of his relationship with God in Tarsus, and then with Barnabas, and then in Philippi, and in Corinth, and all these other places. It came from him. Finally, contentment is a skill to be honed until we die. It's a skill to be honed until we die. Um, so honing, I don't know if many of you um, are familiar, you're probably familiar with that term, you know, honing something means improving it, 
Um, when I was growing up, my dad always had a knife. It was just a part of it. And when he didn't have anything else to do, he would get out a whetstone, which is it's a little stone, some kind of slate or sand, or I don't know what it's made of. And then he would, he would sit in his chair, and then he would spit on it, because you had to get it wet. And I don't know if tobacco added to the honing or what, but he would spit on it, and then he would take his knife, and, he, and then he would... until it was razor sharp. He always kept it. And then he would cut himself. That was my dad. That's honing. Constantly sharpening. Constantly keeping the edge on. Contentment isn't a one and done. Contentment we will continue to develop as a skill for the rest of our lives. And I put several scriptures there for you. They're they're the same scriptures we've been looking at all the way through. Um, But this contentment, and so the because we're running out of time, let me just highlight that we have to put our effort into surrender. Not pursuing contentment, but surrender. Hard stuff comes, we take it to God, and we keep taking it to God till we hear from Him to get His perspective. And when we get His perspective, we lean into that and we obey that with fervent passion and surrendering to Him. So that we delight in our weaknesses. We, because when we are out of the way, when we are weak, then He can be strong. Amen. And we have to keep working. We have to keep doing it. And we have to keep encouraging each other to look up instead of look down. So here, application, under at the bottom of your outline then. Are you willing to say to God with the stuff that you're going through right now the same thing Paul said. Because that's the path to contentment. Are you willing to say, Lord, I've got these hard circumstances. I've got these hard circumstances. And go to him and say, God, I would really like you have to relieve me of this, but I, I I want your will, whatever your will is, whatever it is. And then hear from him. Listen for what he has to say. And then accept whatever he has to say and pursue him with a passion. Because it is not in your strength, but it is your weakness that you will experience contentment and you will be a pipeline for the grace of God. Would you bow your heads? What is it that you're facing right now? God knows, and He cares, and He won't allow you to suffer one moment longer than is best. Because He loves you. His purpose is not to allow you to hurt. His purpose is to work His will in your life. What are the difficulties that you need to take to God? Maybe you've been throwing a pity party and whining about stuff. Are you willing to say, God, I'll stop whining. I just want you. Whatever it is, I just want you. And were you, are you willing to say, I'm not giving up. Lord, I'm going to hang in. I'm going to keep doing this. 
I'm going to keep seeking you. I'm going to keep obeying you. I'm going to keep following you and let you do whatever you want. Lord, I pray for each person here because there's no one that gets out of this life without pain. So whatever it is now, whatever it will be in the future, God, I pray that you would do the transforming work in Jesus' name that you did in Paul's life. That you will give us the ability to boast in weaknesses and insults and hardships and rejection and calamities so that you can be strong. God, do whatever it takes and help us to encourage one another along the way. I pray for each person that they will sense your overwhelming presence as they go through. We give ourselves to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.